Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Rome from Home podcast, season two. And this is the podcast where we interview some of the world's most interesting, knowledgeable, and iconic explorers, athletes, scientists, and generally experts from the world of outdoor adventure. Purpose gets thrown around a lot these days. How we define it is how they cultivate their relationship with their environment, meaning the earth, their, our home, how they work to cultivate community, inclusion, diversity, and how they work with others to ultimately find inspiration that helps all of us have a, a better and deeper connection with ourselves. That's purpose. This is season two, as I mentioned, and we have some really exciting news. Uh, we have a new sponsor, Adventure Activists, and they're coming on to support for these next 12 episodes and really are aligned with a very clear mission with us about designing the podcast this season to help promote action. And Adventure Activists is leading in this. Uh, they are a nonprofit platform which produces unique stories like this podcast and educational content to help promote the charitable mission uh, that is behind the sustainable development goals as charted by the UN. They believe that those who are privileged enough to expand their horizons as travelers and athletes and explorers bear intimate witness to the threats that are in our world. And, and those folks, you, dear listener, and us are uniquely positioned and motivated to serve in return. And we're lucky enough to have the founder of Adventure Activists as one of the co-hosts, Dr. Terry O'Connor. He's going to be the co-host along with Corey on this season. And that's what this episode is. You're here for the first episode of season two. In the next 12 episodes, we're going to be talking to both Corey and Terry and our guests about this idea of effective altruism and how to move from an awareness of so many of these issues and causes that we've already talked about on the podcast, whether that's wilderness conservation or preservation, social justice or climate change and many others, and how to go from a, a consciousness of there is a problem, as in many cases we're very aware, but how to take that information and move to a place of actually doing something. And there are so many who are doing something and doing it very well. So our mission was to go find those organizations and people who are really doing the best work and to bring them onto the podcast so that we can learn in real time with you, dear listener, as to how to move from awareness to action. So we've got Terry why don't you introduce yourself and Corey, you introduce yourself and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in. Yeah. Thanks, uh, CJ. Uh, hi everybody. I'm uh, Terry O'Connor. I'm a emergency physician that's, uh, working in Sun Valley, Idaho, affiliated with a number of other universities, University of Washington, University of Colorado, and, uh, educate primarily, uh, wilderness medicine, but have since made a shift into policy work and education on climate change and health. Um, and obviously been involved in a lot of COVID work, but, um, you know, really my background is starting, uh, as a climber and explorer and a few Nat Geo trips under my belt, which led me to be inspired to go into medicine. And my experiences in medicine have now since led me to want to try to do more to educate others, how they can get involved and really help address, uh, some of our world's burgeoning problems. And I, and I think this group is, uh, well situated to address those and really be part of some meaningful response and that's uh, that's really what why we're here and 
the motives behind uh, this season. So just uh, happy to be involved, and it's been a pleasure to to be chatting with you guys about this project going forward. Well, it's fun to have you, man. And, uh, you know, obviously, I think uh, your background really underscores the, the whole premise of this season. And it's something that I've struggled with as an influencer, as an athlete, uh, as somebody with a platform. And that's this idea of, of how we move, uh, how we move the needle in our own lives uh, and hopefully move the needle outside of our own lives in terms of, you know, hey, we're aware of these problems. Now, what do I do about it? You know, and I think it's so there's so much paralysis in this day and age that comes with all of the social movements that we see pushing up right now. And I think, it, you know, many of them are long overdue and some of them are just on time. And my background, this is Corey, for anybody who doesn't know, um, my name's Corey Richards. I have been a photographer um, and a professional athlete for about 20 years now. Uh, I started in my late teens, early 20s, really pursuing photography as a means of storytelling. And at the time, it was very much about climbing for me. And in, in some ways, it still is, but I've, I've definitely deviated from that path. And uh, while climbing and being an athlete is still very much a part of my life, uh, photography became sort of the, the principle in, in a lot of ways. And so my work for National Geographic has spanned everything from adventure and expeditions, which is really how I came into the National Geographic fold, into climate change, conflict, uh, and even things like the social sciences. I did an amazing article with a guy named Dan Buechner on happiness. So I've really tried to expand my, my photography world to include uh, – a lot of different things, not just adventure anymore, but adventure and the outdoor community has always been where I've um, found my home. So that's who I am. You know, I think all of us want to find our voice in activism. We want to feel like we have some sort of purpose. And I've spoken most vehemently and most, uh, I, I think I've spoken the most about climate change and mental health. So those are my two sort of flags that I wave a lot. But it's taken me a long time, you know, a long time to, to figure out what those are, really, if I'm being honest. Yeah, and we're going to dive in the season on all sorts of subjects with, you know, executive directors from a lot of different nonprofits that will cover some of those topics that, that both of you touched on. And the discussion for today is we're really kicking off season two and setting the stage for the types of guests that we're going to be bringing on in the next 11 episodes and how we're really trying to give the audience tools, real tools, on how they can move from just understanding that there are some of these issues and who's doing the best work. I mean, Terry, you with Adventure Activists, really part of the mission is this idea of effective altruism. How do we locate and determine who's doing the best work in some of these causes, whether it's climate, social justice, and others that we'll cover, and how can we best support them? How do we get involved? And so maybe, Terry, if you could talk a little bit about Adventure Activists from that perspective and how we're going to be weaving that in and out. And then we'll dive into some questions. I got some questions for both of you, and we'll just let it flow from there. Yeah, I just, just briefly, I think this the platform kind of came to fruition after discussion with many of my other friends who uh, came from backgrounds as uh, explorers and adventurers who then navigated into what we would call, you know, fairly altruistic uh, career paths 
whether they be journalists or um, healthcare providers like myself or starting their own nonprofits. And um, we really just wanted to refine and inform for those who hadn't kind of put the work in to figure it out, as, as Corey kind of addressed, you know, it's like a work in progress, like try to figure out how to best use your voice and platform. Um, really want to try to start connecting people with um, some blueprints of like effective responses and really start to try to promote solution stories on how people are responding, uh, what worked, what didn't work, what needs improvement, and um, really try to build kind of just a, a you know, a, a current and, and a tide um, of, of change amongst the, the people that, you know, follow us or, or who may be interested in what we're doing and, and resonate with this kind of similar calling or pathway. And, um, you know, I think uh, one thing I think we'll get to at the end of this conversation, CJ, it, it's really easy to be paralyzed about all the woes of modern day. And I think it's important to have a holy grail out there about best practices and what sort of investments have the biggest payoff in regards to improving people's station in lives or mitigating climate change. But that does need to be tempered, too, with the message that people with very little training can make an effective difference with the experiences they have and the stories that they can share. And so we want to educate people on, hey, here's some of the organizations in the world that are doing the best work when it relates to combating malaria in sub-Saharan Africa or um, combating poverty uh, in India. But at the same time, I think we want to convey a message that let's not let perfect be the enemy of the good, right? I mean, if there's an army of support out there, anybody doing their small part is going to push us along into a more positive space. So we want to be all inclusive, but at the same time, I think we want to be a resource for really solution stories and not just contributing to the doom scrolling that's out there. And that's something that's a work in progress. The case studies with a prior podcast that we did, which has evolved into this project with you. And then uh, we're still working on developing and importing into our website more and more solution stories in the press and through academic connections amongst all these different sustainable development goals from the UN on, on what sort of positive change is being made going forward so we can uh, motivate all of us just to keep pushing for improvement. Yeah, thanks, Terry. That, I mean, it's, as you said, I think if, if for the listeners, if you tune into this podcast, what we really hope is, as Corey and Terry are just saying, is that you come away from every episode with something tangible in terms of what you could actually do to help others and and how to make smart choices about this concept of effective altruism and giving back. And it can be really daunting with everything that's that's going on in the, in the world. So our goal is to try to entertain at the same time as educate uh, and bring some of that information to you in every one of these hours. So with that, I'm, I'm just going to get us kicked off with maybe some fun start, which is to go to you, Corey. The professional alpinist, Terry, I know you, you two are an accomplished alpinist yourself, but you've climbed Everest twice, Corey, and you were planning on going back in just a few weeks. Um, that plan has changed, and maybe you could tell us why that's changed a little bit and then you know what, what you've got coming up, and we'll transition from that into some of these larger topics. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I as an alpinist, I've always really been told to 
the great ranges and I started in Peru and then I started, you know, in the Cordillera Blanca and then I started going to the Himalaya about 13 years ago. And since then I've had sort of this, this snowball effect or gathering momentum around 8,000 meter peaks. And, and a lot of the routes on 8,000 meter peaks are pretty much they're extreme walking. And I don't mean that as a denigration of, of the accomplishment that is required to do that. I've done plenty standard routes. All the routes that I've done on 8,000 meter peaks have been standard. So um, a couple of years ago, my climbing partner, Topo, um, his name is Esteban Mena. He's from Quito. We decided to try to do a new route on Everest. And we tried a, a new line on the northeast face of the mountain in 2019. And we got to about, gosh, I, I think 7,600 meters. I don't know exactly where we were. We were pretty high on the, on the northeast face on, on, you know, terrain that had never been climbed before. And just sort of um, a number of things compiled and, and, and essentially rendered that ascent untenable. And we turned around and it was with a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of sadness when you put that much time and energy and effort into something uh, and, and you fail at it. And I mean, that's, that's part and parcel with alpinism, period. So the plan this spring was to go back. We took a, you know, a season off last season of course we couldn't go because because of covid and then this season um china again because of the evolving covid situation the pandemic worldwide they they did not issue permits for the north side of everest and so you know we had put in gosh over a year of training specifically targeted at this and then about a month ago it got the rug got pulled out so you know we've had a quick pivot and are going where, you know, we didn't want to sort of waste the fitness and waste the energy that we had and just roll that into another 15 months of training. So we, uh, we're going to go and try to climb a mountain called Dalagiri, which is in Nepal. And that is, um, it's the world's seventh highest mountain and it's still a massive undertaking. It's over in the Annapurna range or near the Annapurnas. And so that's, that's the plan. We leave on March 25th and, we're looking at some interesting terrain that, you know, hasn't been climbed, but our goal right now is just to go and, and utilize this time to maximize our efficacy next year when we go and attempt Everest again. A question for you on that, and I think for some people listening, um, you know, remarkable amount of investment for these trips and training. Um, and it's not like you don't have other things going on in your life. And then when you have the objective not work out, I guess, how, how do you rebound from that? And maybe this is a question of the value of process versus outcome. And really what does, you know, returning to the Himalaya mean to you in that, in that regard? Cause I think you, you're, you're well aware that the outcome's not guaranteed going forward on this trip too. So there's, there's probably something else there about the process for you. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, there's been a transition from my younger life that was more um, about accomplishment into where I'm at now, which feels much more like uh, I'm invested in process. And, and I'm not saying that I don't have a, an attachment to uh, outcome. I mean, certainly that's what I work towards is, is to detach from the outcome and strictly do the work without the attachment to sort of success or failure, different, different outcomes. You know, I think that the process for me is 
to, to pivot as we did um, was to exactly your point to reinvest and reexamine the whole process of doing something like this, which is to say, you know, all is not lost when the goal is pulled out from, from under you because you've still done the 800 hours of training, right? You've still invested that amount of time into your fitness. You've still structured your life and to use your word investment into these things and all of that holds its weight and still retains its value and in fact it's arguable that that is where all the value actually lies so moving forward like say you know going to Dalagiri, it's not no never mind right it's not like oh this is just easy because it's not everest in fact Dalagiri is a really hard mountain what i have noticed though is that because i haven't been obsessing about it because I don't know as much about it, because I haven't been on it, all of a sudden that reset feels refreshing to me in a way that's like, oh, cool, I'm going to go try this thing. And I feel free of the pressure that I've put on myself under the weight of a new route on Everest. And that has actually been a welcome shift, something that I've really enjoyed. Because it's like, cool, we're just going to go try. And it's almost a reconnection with the idea of doing this not solely as a profession, but but actually for fun, which is where it all came from. I mean, it seems like, yeah, obviously the process can be fun, it's certainly with the novelty, and, and that's a reflection of benefit to you. But, um, I mean, is there something that's in the process of doing this exercise that you actually think brings benefit to, to those around you? Um, and I think a lot of us go on these big trips and expeditions uh, because it is hard, right? And it does push us into this flow state that, um, you know, your prior guests on the uh, podcast, like Stephen Codler, have talked about and, and his work and, you know, a state of flow from Yehai Sixemihai, who kind of talked about this state that I think many of us who do these adventures understand and realize and want to get to again. But, um, you know, it's a form of meditation, I guess, for us um, to be fully engulfed in this activity and absorbed by it. But much like a meditative exercise, you know, with a great meditator, so you don't just meditate yourself, you meditate for others. Uh, do you feel like this year-long investment of training, going, uncertain outcome, the process of a new route, does it bring benefit for those around you as well? <laughs> I mean, I want to say yes to this, and I, and I actually believe that it does, but it's much more subtle and nuanced than you might think, meaning mm -hmm. that, you know, climbing or any sport for that matter – is inherently selfish. We do it, we start to do it because we love it. LeBron didn't get into basketball because he was like, I'm going to be the best, build a platform, and then impact people in my community. That was never, that, that's something that right. happens later down or like further down the road, right? Because, and, and that's, that's part of the trajectory. Um, at least I don't imagine that, that he thought that getting started. Um, climbing as a modality and I've said this before, it has very little outward impact. It is very selfish. And that's something that as an athlete, I struggle with, I would say regularly. And, and I mean, hourly, you know, I think about my life in terms of how am I making a positive impact outward? If all I do is go inward and train and focus on this singular goal or these goals, how is that of any benefit to anybody else? The truth for me, and I'm not saying this is always or the reconciliation for me of those two seemingly opposing ideas. A, that's 
that's my greatest calling in life. And B, I need to go do these, these goals. Um, you know, the, the reconciliation of those two things is found in exposing the process itself, right? Because as I said, when, when I was introducing myself, my big, um, what I like to, you know, what I sort of am a champion for is mental health and mental wellness. And that comes from my own journey with mental illness, um, and mental, I guess, well-being that has, has taken me down a road of, um, you know, down the roads of extreme depression, uh, anxiety, uh, addiction, all of those things. And, and when I can use my process around fitness, around goals as an expose into the struggles and the hurdles that people with, um, mental afflictions face in day-to-day life, that becomes valuable and meaningful, right? But the climb itself, doing the thing, as you well know, doesn't mean anything. What it does is it gives you a platform to talk about that which is meaningful. And for me, that is mental well-being, that's mental health, and that is the process by which I try to achieve mental health or mental well-being amidst a host of, you know, significant issues that I, that I still struggle with today. Did that answer make sense or am I completely like, was that just too many words just shoved together? (laughs) No, no, it does. And I think everybody has their own answer. And I think it changes over time um, when you engage in these activities. I mean, I think even uh, like, let's, let's think of an exercise that maybe might be seen, uh, viewed as um, maybe more responsible. And that is just starting to meditate. I would argue many people first get into meditation for selfish reasons and then find a purpose uh, beyond that self-interest that gets born out of that experience and going forward. But I I think there is, this is a pretty common experience in my conversation with other climbers is that there's a little internal battle this whole time trying to have meaning making of this exercise. Right. Right. Um, Right. And because it doesn't doesn't mean anything, right? Like, and that's what feels terrible about it in some ways. And in fact, in this day and age, you know, as I listen to so many conversations about, social activisms and or social activism and movement forward and and people being so involved and then i and then i sort of take myself in that lens and i go well, what the fuck am i doing right how mm-hmm. how is this helpful at all and there's a tremendous amount of guilt that comes with that and what i've learned is that that guilt actually is more paralyzing than accepting that i want to do these things and there's something in me that feels almost as if it's a need um it's beyond desire but by doing them i am able to have a voice in the conversation yeah i think what struck me about your answer um corey you know especially when it comes to everest and these high himalayan peaks i mean i think they're I mean, you're talking about this as, as a platform to discuss some of your own vulnerabilities. And, you know, Everest in particular is just such a classic trope for this, like, fortitude or personal right. fortitude for success in the face of overwhelming adversity. Right. Um, you've, in your discovery, have kind of flipped this narrative a bit and that, okay, look, I love this thing. I'm going to go do it. But you know what? It's really about a platform to be, be open about challenge and that 
life is hard and this sucks and I can fail. And, you know, there's probably moments when you want to give it all up and you've willingly kind of embraced that and opened that up, you know, with audiences in your first couple climbs. And I, I guess I'm curious, there must be some feedback that you were onto something there by exposing that kind of vulnerability. I and mean, what, what have you learned after sharing these struggles on these, on these trips with people that uh, I guess inspires you to, to keep moving forward. And I guess in this paradigm of continuing to do climbs and, and talking about your experiences. Well, I think what's, I think that the biggest, the biggest thing I've learned is that, um, all of us doesn't matter what our goals have been at times we've pursued things that we get to, we get to places in that pursuit. We get to places in the process where we hate it. Like we actually don't like riding our bike anymore, even though this is the thing we do, or we don't like playing basketball or we, we, you know, there's moments where we get to that place within our own pursuit and we understand immediately, God, I don't, I just, I'm not, I don't, I hate this right now. The process and the value add that I've, that I've seen through this is that you can push through that moment because it's not that you, it's not that you actually don't like the activity anymore. It's that you've reached a place of saturation and probably extreme exhaustion. And you're questioning whether or not you're gaining anything from, from the experience anymore. And, and so that's, that's the first thing I want to bring up is that we all go through those moments of sort of questioning whether or not our true north is actually our true north. And, and the second thing that I want to say is that the, the, the feedback, to answer your primary question, the feedback that I've gotten is when you speak to those truths, like, hey, I'm in this situation. It should be really great. Yes, I'm on the biggest mountain in the world. Yes, this is a huge privilege. Yes, all the good stuff that we point out that we usually at least each other with, Hey, at least you get to go do it. Hey, at least you're there. Hey, at least all of that exists. And yet here I am having this experience of I'm anxious or I'm suffering from really bad anxiety or God, I feel like I'm suffering from a a bit of a, you know, a depressive swing right now in my training process. And this is really taking a massive toll. As soon as you start talking about those things and the truth around it versus the sort of the curated um, outward projection that we do, we most often see, that's when you get all the feedback. People are like, oh, fuck, thank God somebody else feels that way. That's yeah. valuable, right? right? And that becomes the feedback that, that, that actually has impact and keeps me going in it. Like yesterday, I was like, how can I talk more about mental health? And I was thinking, you know, and I've done this before on my platform and I was like, fuck it. Mental health Mondays, it rhymes. That's great. So every Monday I'll just answer mental health questions to, to get people engaged in that. Does that have anything to do with climbing a mountain? Not necessarily, but I can use the climb and the process leading up to it as my own sort of analogous experience to talk to those, the questions that come up. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's it's a different sort of crucible, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. As you're just talking there, Corey, for both of you, and and as we we invite other guests this season, as Terry and Corey will both be co-hosts on the season of the podcast. But diving back into the into the recording, I guess um, for both of you, this 
this solo act of, of adventuring as you're talking about your experience on Everest and Terry, you've had a lot of those experiences yourself also and very formative, I think, in your path in life, you know, that, that becomes a way to cultivate this relationship with the outside world. And Terry, you've spoken publicly about this and we're touching on it a bit about this idea of selfish versus selfless in adventuring. Um, maybe can you describe that relationship between that, you know, that we, and Corey was just going down this path a bit, the internal journey and where the, the switch flips for both of you and your experiences on how to move from that place of adventuring into, into activism. Yeah. Um, I guess my, and this is kind of a personal discovery, but I think this resonates with, with many of my friends and, and probably many listening right now. But um, I guess I, I would start from this concept of adventure or adventure travel. And I think that brings up an image for most people of, you know, this sort of expedition, a daring or bold undertaking where the stakes are high. And as with these Himalayan expeditions we're referencing where the outcome is very uncertain, certainly. So an expedition to Everest or a first descent on a remote river someplace. And I think for, for the uninitiated, the people that don't do this very often, it can really look like a selfish fool's errand, right? But for those of us who've done it enough, uh, there is initially a hook for us in that it brings us into this flow state, right? Where our skills are kind of appropriately matched by the daunting challenge that's there. And it's really hard to pull us out from the really very satisfying and actually addictive state that these adventures provide for us. And I think that's, that's what many people commonly kind of come to understand the value of this for themselves. And I think it's something to be admired, uh, to admire. And that, and that's, why a lot of people love following adventure athletes and professional athletes in this realm. But I think there's one key piece that is missed that's not talked enough about that gets us and translates into wanting to give back and uh, exercise and, and altruism, as CJ had referenced. And, and I think really at a core and, and some degree almost kind of an evolutionary basis, we are driven to see things we've never seen before. We go to these places to find awe, which is that, you know, that sense of wonder we feel in the presence of something vast that really transcends our understanding of the world. And we all have our experiences like this. I have some of my own that I've shared previously, but I'll reference one particular uh, individual that I think many people can relate to. And, um, you know, there's a very famous photo since we have a photographer on here with us, that I think translates to this concept of awe for many people. Um, I think it to this day is still one of the widely, most widely shared photographs in the world. And that's the blue marble photo, the first photo from an Apollo mission of, of the earth from space. And it resets perspective and to actually be there and live and see that in real time, I think is a really a pretty clear embodiment of the sense of awe I'm getting at and what that does to you. And Edgar Mitchell, I just want to read a quote from him. who's one of these astronauts who's seen that he responded to this sense of awe by saying, you develop an instant global consciousness, a people orientation 
an intense dissatisfaction with the state of the world and a compulsion to do something about it. And so um, even in these adventure exercises, right, I mean, I think our lives and our endeavors um, are a, a delicate balance, as, as Corey has addressed, teetering between the gratification of the self-interest, but then also thinking about the weight of our actions on others and the planet, and then thinking about everybody when we're kind of immersed in the sense of awe in these places that we go. And so... I really do think that there is something there is a translation that happens in some of these rarefied moments, sometimes that occur up high above 8,000 meters in rarefied air where um, adventure is not really truly selfish and that it may actually be selfless. So I guess the best way I could summarize this in my personal discovery uh, is that in adventure, we find this sense of awe and in awe, we redefine our perspective of ourselves. And with our new perspective, we orient our actions towards lives and needs of others around us. I mean, think about all the magic times you've had at the end of a very challenging endeavor or found yourself on a summit or on a riverside or watching the sunset in the ocean and thought of nothing else besides other people in your lives, right? And, and hoping and wishing that they were well or wondering how they're doing. And that, and that, I think, is what adventurers can tap into. And I think there is a power there that we can tap into that can be translated. And um, my guests that I've interviewed on a previous season of, of our podcast, The Adventure Activist, and then I think what brought us together is, is we know this happens. We know this translation happens. And this experience resonates with a lot of us. And we want to tap in and, and do something with that motivation. So, um, Corey, what's what's your sense? Um, is that? Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think I could put it better. I, I, in terms of like, you know, we go to these places initially selfishly, then we come to understand through the lens of selfishness that you know the world is a big and fascinating and amazing place, and we often are struck by a certain degree of compassion that compels us to uh, to to move into ways of action and activism that ultimately uh, benefit those that have supported us or are around us. And I think that the struggle, you know, and the, the stumbling block for so many, especially in this moment um, that we're all going through, you know, with the pandemic and all of the, the movements that are rightfully erupting right now is how the how do I translate that deep intrinsic that innate desire to be of service of others into action because I see the problems I know the problems I know what they are and yet I feel paralyzed and I feel stuck in this in this modality of being that is inherently selfish because by our very nature we are designed to care for us and ourselves first right and so the benefit of all of this and and I think that where where we see this jumping off is when people finally, you know, they they're imbued with that sense of awe, that sense of wonder, that's and then that that grows into that sense of compassion and the desire to help others and be of service. And then there's a there's something that happens for certain people where they yeah. shift into action, and that is that ethereal, uh, hard to capture moment that so many of us think about constantly. And I know I think about it all the time. How can I be a better human? How can I be of more service? How can I, 
And it's also a source, like I talked about earlier, of guilt. So um, because when we feel like we're not accomplishing that role, when we're not living up to our highest calling, which is to be a service of each other and, and make the world around us a better place, then we feel at some level, um, you know, or at least I feel at some level very, very guilty about it. <laughs> and I don't think that helps honestly, I'm just like, fuck, what do I do? You know? So I, I, I hope that in these discussions and throughout this season, we start to drill down on, um, the, the nuts and bolts and the granular nature of the steps that we as individuals can take to engage with a broader audience and help move that dial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's in your own experience as a photographer, Corey, you know, you, you get to, to see all these places that a lot of people don't get to see. And I think you're talking about that moment that moves people to action. We were talking, we are talking mostly about individual uh, sort of experiences in the field almost, right. When you're right. the adventurer, when you're the, you're the person who's out there has the privilege to be on the mountain, but you know, what about the relationship between the storytelling? Like we've talked about this sort of off pod to, you know, it's, it's hard to inspire people to get involved. Sometimes I think when the conversation focuses solely on the problem, right. As opposed to the power that you have as a photographer and others as storytellers to make people care about these issues whether that's social justice, whether that's climate. So maybe talk a little bit about how you view the relationship between your art, because you're very, very unique in that you're a photographer, but also a professional athlete. You carry both of those things. And so that you sort of sit on both sides of that saddle as a photographer, what is the relationship between your photography and this, this idea of moving to action and activism? Well, so there's two, there's two answers to that question. One of them is that photography has become my way of being of service at times, right? Because uh, through storytelling, I'm capable of offering glimpses of the broader planet or the broader world or broader issues to people in an otherwise, in a way that, that, that is unique to me. So that, is, that has become in some ways my own act of service. Um, again, I think, you know, we, we stumble when we, when, because everybody cares, it's, it's the, it's the, can you make a story powerful enough to move somebody from caring to doing then? And that is a, that's something that certainly photography has the power to do, but it would be a lie and it would be dishonest of me to say that that's, you know, that's, that's what I do, right? Like I move people from caring to doing that's bullshit. That's photography rarely has that much impact what photography generally does is inform it creates awareness it fosters care right but it but the jumping off point from care to to action is is the next step i always joke because i'm an alcoholic (laughs) you know people like accepting you have a problem is the first step and i'm like actually the first step is the first step you know, it's, it's one thing to know something, but if you don't do anything with the knowledge, then, then it's baseless, then it doesn't matter. 
and sure you could you could get into the philosophical semantics of that way like well in order to do something you have to know it I, i'm not interested in that argument we have to do more and so i think that you know for me that there's a symbiosis between storytelling and my calling to do that and get people talking about something but the deeper calling is uh to get people to do something about it i guess the question within all of that is how can we on this podcast not only um educate and give people the resources which is the primary mission right is how to mm-hmm. what people can actually do but also you know bring people into the story to the extent that they're inspired about what's on the other side of the outcome and I think that I feel that in the work that we're doing with Rome is is really part of it is can we inspire people and educate them and then move them to action sort of in that order can we bring them in with storytelling and amazing filmmaking and amazing photography so that they're interested enough because we do live in a very crowded fragmented media landscape and to hold people's attention is difficult enough as it is and then if you saddle them with well you have to do all these things that can be you know can be hard to actually get people to move to action so that that was my point about the photography yeah well here's what i'd like to say i mean you have i think what this podcast is about and for me what it's very much about is deciphering and the formula that people can follow very simply to sift through the noise to break the paralysis and move into that mode of action. And yes, storytelling, photography, filmmaking, it all is the hook, right? It brings them in, it excites them. Um, but what I want people to walk away with is, you know, in my in my pathway, this is how it's worked. Look, I can't be a champion for everything. I can't, I don't have the capacity to do that. But I can be a champion for one thing. I can be a champion for maybe two, right? And I can give everything that I have to those things and I can give all of my resources to champion those causes. I can be aware that there are other causes happening around me. I can be aware that there are different fights that are taking place. But as a singular human, I cannot expect myself to champion everything that's happening right now. What I can do is grant myself the permission to choose the thing that moves me most and dedicate my action to that. That I think is the first step in people's journey towards activism. You don't have to fucking do it all. And if you try to do it all, you won't do anything. Yeah, I mean, I think really what we're getting at, what I think Corey expressed too, is what does it take to get action conversion, right? And where do you go from awareness to actually getting money? to being an effective ally, to showing up and speaking out on a cause. And um, what can be informative is these insightful, poignant kind of case study conversations to get what it was for each individual to put all this effort in for murdered and missing indigenous women, or perhaps for you know re- relieving families that have suffered the um, consequence of a loved one dying working in the, the climbing industry and amongst many others. But I think there are some common threads here that we really want to flush out this season. And one, I'll, I'll go back to Corey's comment about how photography uh, can be really effective for awareness, but it 
it it may not necessarily help conversion and into action. And um, I guess I will say one thing that's been borne out from a lot of the psychological literature on this is is actually. I actually think, and I'm fairly convinced in reviewing this, that story and good storytelling is not just a pathway to engage people to become aware of a problem, but it actually is the mechanism to get people to do something. Um, and I'll reference, and perhaps we could put this in the show notes later, but um, the nice, easily digestible piece that reviews some of the research on this was actually done by one of my favorite editorial authors um, at the New York Times, Nick Kristoff, who wrote a piece actually in Outside um, Outside a Magazine that referenced the research of Paul Slovic at the University of Oregon. And some of you may have heard of this work, and it's this concept of having altruism motivated by a character or an identifiable victim or an identifiable story versus what we often find ourselves in a position of falling prey to, which is this kind of paralysis by being overwhelmed by the statistics. And uh, I'll just cut the brief on one of the most poignant research projects or studies that they did, but Paul Slovic and his colleagues, they actually utilized some NGOs. Basically, there was a, a totally separate psychological research project that was done. Participants were given a money reward after they were done with that. And they said, hey, just so just so you know, since you got the 10 bucks for participating in this research project here on the campus, we want to help support, uh, save our children. And they either presented the individuals with kind of three different scenarios. They either identified one young girl, and I forget the name they used, um, let's just call her uh, Malik. And uh, they gave a very illustrative story about who she was, the village she lived in, uh, how much water she had access to every day, and what $5 would do uh, to improve her station in life as in access to food and water. The other end of the spectrum, they presented how bad the famine problem was in Sudan, and they gave everybody the detailed statistics and tens of thousands of people having resource scarcity issues, water access issues, um, going hungry on this many days. And they compared the conversion rates of giving when you got given that 10 bucks, how much money you would give back when presented with these stories. And overwhelmingly, I think you guys know where I'm going with this, that when people are presented with statistics, they don't feel like they're going to be able to make any meaningful change at all. And they often defer on giving uh, and just throw their hands up, kind of just citing futility, I think, in their minds. But when presented with a very identifiable victim or a character, they're much more likely to actually give money. And interestingly enough, um, and this is where I think a lot of professionals or physicians like myself often have folly, is we start with the story, the identifiable victim, and then we want to try to support our case by referencing the data. Uh, it turns out in that same study, they would then follow up the story about Malit with the data, and that ended up compromising how much money people gave. So in other words, people just want to know the one person or the identifiable victim that they're likely to help out with their efforts. And that tends to be the most effective. And so, you know, back to photography, you know, I think a photograph in itself is a story. And if we go back to another example, I mean, think about how many people knew about the catastrophes with Syrian refugees and were turning a blind eye until everybody saw the photo of the child on the beach. And 
the groundswell of support, and I, I can't reference the amount of money, but that that one photograph channeled so much money um, into refugee efforts out of Syria more than any kind of mind-numbing statistic. And so I guess one key point I want to highlight, and I think this is where we come in, is to empower people that, hey, look, you don't need to be working for an NGO. You don't need to have the statistics wired. If you're someone who goes out in a place and you see a world very different from your own and you have an experience that is very real and moving to you, like you feel terrible for this person in the position that they are at, like telling and sharing that story or that photograph, that is the process. It's not just awareness. That is what is going to move the needle. And I I don't think that gets enough credit. And I think that is an opportunity we have yeah, I think it's uh, the again coming back to what the the goal of what the three of us are are doing with the Realm from Home podcast this season is to to tell effective stories that incite as you just went through like that's what the data is actually saying is that by creating that relationship by creating that empathy then you get more effective outcomes and more people are helped in one way or another. That's the struggle with, with, you know, when we go, when we tell a story for National Geographic, that's the thing is, okay, here's all the science. How do we make it relatable? Because that's the only way to get people to actually read the statistics, at which point you make a good point. Sometimes they disengage. But uh, I think in this context, it is, you know, I think what we're trying to encourage people to do is know that it is enough to, to, um, to take a picture, to tell a story, so long as we're not being exploitative. And that in and of itself is an act of service, not only to the people that you're, you're telling the story about, hopefully, but it's an act of activism as well. So small actions do matter. Maybe Terry, it sounds like you've got a, a personal story that can sort of demonstrate some of this. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, let me just, let me just share a story, but this really, I think helps highlight some of these points. And for me, it's really in the last three years is really made a total paradigm change for me and, and what I think I can do to effectively do the most good with the time I have. And I really don't think being a doctor is the most effective way. Um, so let me highlight a little bit of that. So, uh, Let's talk for statistics. Clearly, I'm someone who believes that climate change is driven by uh, human forces. And clearly, I understand and believe that it is going to result in the largest public health crisis um, of our time. But it didn't really hit me that to be a good steward of that problem, that I needed to really rethink what I was doing as a doctor Uh, and as a global citizen. And I feel like uh, for me to be service as a physician and as an emergency physician, that I should take care of patients. And I do travel and and take care of patients in other countries. And on one particular trip, I was in Calcutta. um, And this particular organization I was with, we specifically uh, provide access to care for the untouchable or delete castes within Calcutta. And we had heard that there was a young man suffering from dengue in this village that neighbors the airport. For background, this village is also uh, a recruiting ground for prostitution. Uh, There's a lot of refugees or delete 
that are in this village and the local, as we'll say, mafia often will recruit women from this village. And so we entered in this village, went to go look for this man and who came across and stumbled across this you know, strikingly beautiful young uh, woman who um, was literally holding up her rice pan on her chest like a shield as we approached um, and understand the background you know, certainly wanted to allay her concerns and it just tried to explain to her, hey, you know, we're here, we're looking for uh, this gentleman who we think has dengue and uh, we mean you no harm because she just saw strangers and Western clothes coming into her home. And she immediately turned to me and started crying and her, her eyes welled up and tears were running down her face. And she was telling to my translator, uh, Amara Barina, Amara Barina, which I subsequently had found out means this is not my home, this is not my home. And what then played out through translation is that she was a Bangladeshi and she lived in the Sundarbans of Bangladesh and her whole family, they were agrarian farm workers and they got displaced. They no longer had arable land because of the rising sea, all the land had salinated and they had to pick up and move to Calcutta to try to find work. And now here they were, a whole family uprooted by rising seas, lost their whole livelihood shoved into the slum by the airport she's now preyed upon for her beauty and i'm going in to treat this one kid with dengue and i just have the gut check that my flight to india and all these flights around the world caring for patients may have done so much more irreparable harm than any good i can do in taking care of this one patient and so there's a story that hit me in the gut. It really changed my mind of what I was doing that was most effective to address some of these most crucial problems in the world right now. In the last three or four years, I mean, with founding Adventure Activists and getting into public health and doing more research, I mean, really, I feel like I need to switch from taking care of patients to working in the public health arena. And not only that, I, I need to be really mindful about my own consumption clearly, even more so than I was before, and think about getting more of the money I earn as a physician to help these situations. I'm likely going to help so many more people in that way than just taking care of one person in clinical care. But what's interesting is the thing that motivated me to do that was the story of one person, right? It wasn't all the literature I was reading. It wasn't the fact that, you know, I trained with the Climate Reality Project with Al Gore. It's not the fact that I'm involved in an academic circle at the University of Colorado and Harvard that is trying to investigate the impacts of climate change on human health. It was that one young girl in the village of Calcutta. Okay. And it just so turns out that there was somebody else that was in that area not so long ago who's, who this struck upon as well. Uh, you may have heard of her, Mother Teresa, but she said, if I look at the mass, I will never act. If I look at the one, I will. And so I, I think our jobs here is, is really to think about the stories that we can pull from the people who have been motivated to do some of the most inspiring work out there and find out what their stories are. And in that, to inspire everybody else to tell their stories as well. And I, I think uh, we may just find that that might lead to a tidal wave of change in the end. Hey, thanks again for joining today. We really appreciate your time and it's great to have so many passionate listeners to what we're trying to do here with Rome from Home. This was the first episode of season two and we've got 11 more to come. So please tune in if you enjoyed this 
You can find us on all of the places that you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple or Spotify or Google. And you can catch up on season one if you're curious. That's all back uh, in those same places and on our website at roammedia.com where you can see the video of some of them. And you can also find us, of course, at Rome on Instagram and our sponsor, The Adventure Activist. That's Dr. Terry O'Connor's organization, as you heard in the episode. And you can find me at CJ Rome and Terry is C-S-E-E, Terry Go, T-E-R-R-Y-G-O. And Corey is at Corey Richards. Rome from Home is brought to you by Rome Academy and The Adventure Activists and produced by myself, Healy Cruz and our audio engineer, Evan Phillips. Thanks so much for listening.